Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? What's up, guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at Dr. D as in Delta, E-L-V as in Victor, E-N-A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but... um, Instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is, which is DRT Brain Love, DRT Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, DRT as in Dr. T, DRT. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, Dr. And then Delvina, D as in Delta, E L V as in Victor, E N A dot help, H E L P. As in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, Subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right. Hey, 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 guys. Good evening. It's another Sunday night. I'm your host for the Brain Love Podcast. This is Dr. Dalina Thomas, a board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And every Sunday night, I come at you at 8 p.m. I'm late tonight. I'm late. Um, You know, I was admittedly watching the Ravens game, the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if you watch football, you know that I am not happy right now. I am so very unhappy. But anyhow, I don't work for the Ravens and they don't pay me. So, hey, got to take it as it comes. So what's up with everyone? How was your Thanksgiving? I hope it was nice and bright and lovely and you were able to see all of your family and friends and the folks you wanted to show gratitude towards. Tonight, I'm talking about something very heavy. I have a guest who joined me on the couch. Um, her name is Deborah Ortiz, Deborah Ortiz, and um, she's a survivor of incest. So some of you may say, mm, what is incest? I'm not familiar with that term. And so... Let's go into it. Um, Victims of incest are family members who have been victims of sexual traumas, sexual violations. And um, although fathers are the most common perpetrators of incest, as it was in Deborah Ortiz and her situation and her sisters, uh, she grew up with two sisters and uh, they all were victims of incest. Um, The father was a perpetrator. And so um, fathers are typically the common perpetrators. However, a study published in 2014 showed that any family member can, um, it's, it's stated that fathers are most commonly the, the perpetrator, but we know any family member 
can be the perpetrator, including siblings. So some women or boys or girls or boys are sexually uh, violated by siblings. They can be violated by their mothers, their cousins, their uncles, their aunts, their other close relatives. So it can be a perpetrator of any blood relative, a family member, just as the victim can be any person or any gender. So victims are not always women. Sometimes victims are also boys or men, young men, boys. And so um, incest can cause a lot of trauma. And what leads up to that trauma are the feelings of isolation, shame, and guilt. And so um, these things also create a poor self-image, which actually, besides trauma, can lead to suicidal thinking and suicidal behaviors. And so um, we know that victims of incest can also suffer from things like nightmares, which could be an indication of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, also sadness and or depression, as well as things like eating disorders. So before I bring Ms. Ortiz on the couch, I just wanted to talk to you about incest and what it is. Um, she's going to share with you her personal story. Um, I also wanted to give you some resources in the event that you yourself are a victim or was a victim or know someone who is the victim or has survived incest and they're still having mental health challenges. Every person who has been violated sexually, whether it's by a family member or by a stranger, a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend, whatever the case may be, every person who has lived through a sexual trauma deserves to seek help with a mental health professional. And so, um, you know, incest sucks. It sucks. And there are things that we can do to try to maneuver around and to handle it. Um, but you really should seek the help of a mental health professional. And, and Ms. Ortiz is going to talk to you about the ways that she dealt with her own personal situation. Um, but I just wanted to drop a couple of gems with you guys. You're not alone. And there are people out here to support you. You may say, well, who's here to support me? I'll tell you at the end of this introduction, I'm going to give you a couple of phone numbers and some websites that you can go on and seek help. Um, know that incest happens all the time. It happens everywhere. And um, there are different ways that incest, uh, sexual traumas can look. It's very difficult for people to talk about it as well. It's an emotional challenge. It's emotional for the victim. And it's emotional for the family members who are hearing about it, especially the first time. But when you hear another family member come forward and tell you something like this, that maybe your father, you may be brothers and sisters or sisters and or sisters or brothers. If your father has violated or has been accused of violating, or if your mother has been accused or an aunt, uncle, grandfather, grandmother, if someone is accusing them of such an act, don't tell the person they're lying. Don't tell the person they don't know what they're talking about. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Incest can affect the health of a survivor's mind and body. And that's expected. I just mentioned to you some of the things that can occur as a result of someone being sexually violated by a family member, but sexually violated in general. And so you can heal 
if you're listening to this and you, you were a victim of incest, your cousin touched you growing up, um, your grandfather or your grandmother was sexually violating you, you can heal, you can get through this. And so some different ways that people deal with traumas include, as I said, the first most important thing to do is to seek mental health counseling or seek treatment with the mental health professional. But there's other things you can do before you get to that professional and between the visits with that professional. You can do things like breathing exercises when you start to feel anxious, because sometimes when we're in a setting that reminds us of the trauma that took place, it can trigger something inside of us, um, especially if, if this is um, a violation that was perpetrated by a family member. So it could be your grandfather. And every time you go to your grandparents' home, you may feel overwhelmed. You may feel unnerved and anxious. So you can breathe through these things. Or if you see a family member who just so loves your grandparent and you're like, dude, or gal, you know, our grandparent was horrible to me, treated me badly, sexually violated me. You can talk to them about that and report it. But, you know, when you're going through the experience of being in in their environment or seeing things that trigger it or whatever, learn how to breathe through it. So we talk about different breathing where you inhale deeply through your nose, you hold it and exhale very slowly. So um, I do have some other episodes where I talk about breathing through anxiety. Also things like journaling, exercise, music, and meditation can also help, help you feel present in your body and manage your emotions. So try to do those things. Sometimes people tell me, I don't think about doing that, or I'm just no good at it. The more you do it, the more it becomes second nature to you. Okay. Then the other option is, of course, you have the option to report it to the police. And that is your personal decision. Don't allow anyone to dissuade you or persuade you. You do what is comfortable for you. And you can, I just want you to know that you can live a full and healthy life. Your life does not have to end because you were a victim of a sexual trauma or any type of sexual assault. So if you've ever been sexually assaulted, whether it's by a family member or any other person, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline, which is 1-800-656-HOPE, H-O-P-E, that's 1-800-656-HOPE, H-O-P-E. They also have a confidential web chat. You can go on their website and you can find a trained trauma counselor on the RAINS it's called RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, on the website, which is R-A-I-N-N.org. You can visit their website and you can find a trauma specialist, people who specialize in all sorts of different types of traumas. So RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, tells us that every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted and every nine minutes, the victim is a child. Oh, that's awful. I hate knowing that every nine minutes, there's some little kid or um, little person, whether it's a child or an adolescent or a teenager being touched inappropriately. And if you're a perpetrator, please go get help. You can change. You can get better. 
Another resource for you is Survivors of Incest Anonymous. This is for the survivors of childhood sexual abuse. The website is siawso.org. Again, siawso.org. That is another resource for you. So please check these resources out. Visit these websites, call these phone numbers. If you know someone who's struggling, help them. They may not, they may not want to call on their own. They may not have the power or the courage to call on their own, but encourage them guys. All right. So let's go ahead and have this hard conversation with Miss Deborah Ortiz. She's joining me on the couch and, um, don't worry. The next few episodes will be, I don't know. I'm not going to promise you they'll be happy episodes. I got to talk about, talk to you about the difficult stuff because people don't talk about all these touchy uh, topics and uncomfortable topics. We got to talk about it, man. We got to process it. We got to beat this stuff to death to make people feel more comfortable coming out and talking about it. Okay. So thank you so much for your ears tonight. Um, I appreciate you. Hey, 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 guys, as I told you, I'm on the couch and I'm on the couch tonight with Miss Ortiz. Do you say her first name as Deborah or Deborah? Well, yes, um, it's Deborah. That's that's how I like Deborah, but Deborah's fine. Yes. <laughs> Everyone likes the Deborah way. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for being here tonight. Yes, thank you for having me. I was just telling you before we started recording that I heard you in Clubhouse. Um, and this was during the pandemic when the pandemic was a pandemic. Like, uh, you know, I know we're still in a pandemic, but people are really out here. They're out and about. They're going to dinners. They're having parties. They're getting married again with an audience and with, you know, family members and, and people present. So um, I heard you on on um, on Clubhouse. I believe it was in the mental health room. I can't recall the name of that room now. And your story was one that I felt needed to be shared. It's a story of incest. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I just, just get back to the clubhouse thing. Yes, it was during the pandemic. It was a very difficult time for so many people. And, you know, I just want to say, I'm, I'm, all the terrible things that have happened during the pandemic, the one thing that I feel that's happened that the good thing is that mental health has been brought to the forefront. Um, um, and that is something I've always hoped and prayed for. You know, why aren't we doing more? Why aren't we speaking about mental health more? And during the pandemic, you know, I started to see commercials about, you know, taking care of your mental health. And I'm like, yay, yay, finally, you know, it's just something so terrible for us to, you know, um, to do that. But I needed a place that I felt you know, I, I stumbled into Clubhouse, I stumbled into this room, and um, I felt safe enough to speak there, and I think, you know, I, I do see a therapist, I have, uh, I'm a huge advocate for finding the right therapist, um, and I do have that outlet, but there's something different about connecting with people that really, truly understand your story, and have been there as well, and um, I was, I felt, I need, and I needed that outlet. I needed a place to say, I'm struggling. I, I'm not doing well right now. And yeah. Um, yeah. 
So how old are you, Miss Ortiz, if you don't mind my asking? No, that's okay. I, I just turned 60. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you look under, You look marvelous. Thank you. Thank you. If yeah, you guys can see this lady, she does not look like she's 60 years young. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I even coming out of my mouth, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's the family genes. Thank you, God. <laughs> okay. Wow. So you were born in the early 60s. 61. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All righty. So you're 60 years old. You said that you see a therapist now. How long have you been seeing a therapist? I've been on and off in therapy for, for a long time. Um, and I actually, I started therapy in my twenties after a second suicide attempt. Um, I honestly, in all honesty, had no idea whatsoever what depression was, although I was suffering with it. Nobody in my family spoke about it. It wasn't a thing. And so it took me to get to this incredibly dark place. And thank God was un, you know, not successful, was unsuccessful. And it was then that, you know, I saw a doctor, a psychiatrist who told me that, you know, hey girl, you're suffering with severe depression. And I'm like, what? There's a name for this? What whoa question for you. The doctor who told you that, had you told the doctor about your dark past, about the things that happened to you during your childhood? No, I didn't even get that far with him. I was just telling him how I got to dress, exactly, how I was feeling and the constant crying and the the hopelessness and just everything that I was feeling that brought me to my, so he had no idea um, Mm -hmm. about any of my past. Okay, so we're on the couch, and I want to dive right in. You are a victim of incest, and I know some people say, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. How do you like to label yourself? I'm most certainly a survivor. I was a victim, but I am a survivor today. Gotcha. How far back do you recall, or how far far back does your memory take you? That's a great question, because I have no clue. I honestly have no clue. I know stuff happened that's very clear. I know it was at a very early age. Um, I, I have bits of memory that stand out. Um, most of my childhood is a blur. Um, I have no sense of time. And that I think that's a direct result from that. Like, you know, I, I just have no sense of time. And so I don't know. I, I can't even answer that. I know I was young. I have no idea what age. So do you, you're, you're a victim of incest and the perpetrator was which family member? My dad. Your father. How horrible. So you were obviously, well, not obviously, you were born, taken home by your mother and your father, or were you taken? Okay. So your parents were together. Correct. And so your parents were raising you as a, as a, a family yes. in their household. I was the firstborn. Gotcha. And how many years after being born was your brother or sister or sibling born? Are you an only child? I should have asked no. that. First. No, I, I have two, two sisters 
and we are about a year and a half apart. Okay. So the first time you recall your father touching you in a way that seemed uncomfortable or different or unusual or in a way that made you think, um, is this proper for my father to do this to me? How old were you? You know, I'm really guessing at this, you know, and I, like, you know, been in therapy for quite some time, like I said, but if I had to take a guess, I want to say around seven or eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what, what's the first thing you recall your father doing to you? Um, my father is, was, was, um, he's still alive, but, um, he was a, a raging alcoholic. Um, so, um, what I remember was, um, laying in bed with him, watching TV and, um, the smell of alcohol. And this was like maybe the day after him drinking. I remember the stench of alcohol, but he always smelled like that. <laughs> and it's just remembering that I felt his body pressed up against mine, you know, like spooning kind of thing. And me feeling something that felt very inappropriate, you know, I would, you know, I would, I can be very frank here. Um, he had an erection and I could feel that up against my body. And that was very confusing to me. Um, and again, um, Davina, I'm going to tell you that I, you know, I really do believe that I shut out many of these memories in order to protect myself. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly what happens. So I don't, that I remember, I remember many times being called, I could hear my name being called into the bedroom, you know, Debbie, come lay down with me. I remember um, being frightened by that, being paralyzed by that, you know, my name being called by him, um, pretending like, you know, so I, I know it's happened more than once. I don't know how far, this is as honest as I can be. I don't know how far things went. I know, um, you know, that could be the extent of it. I also know that childhood memories can get, you know, that could be the, I I know it wasn't one time. I can be very sure of that. You know, he's, 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 you know, he's exposed himself to me, you know, while sitting in the living room, Um, you know, so I remember that stuff. Um, um, so I, I know a lot, a lot happened, but I cannot give you too much detail because I, I would be lying. All I remember is I was terrified. I lived in constant fear and I was afraid to be alone with him. Understood. Understood. Um, as much as you can recall, how old were you when it stopped any of the antics, whether it was touching inappropriately anything when did it stop um at the age of well things changed throughout the years right like I no longer allow myself to be put in that position anymore at a certain age right at a certain age I wasn't going into that room you know that stuff there were other things like I said exposing himself like you know just like just really like um uh you know just inappropriate behavior but um I finally um, addressed it 
and, and, and I have a really interesting story to tell you um, that, you know, I'm going to tell you the story. So I, I lived in Manhattan. Um, I was looking out my third floor window and across the street, there was a man and the man was in the bushes and he was exposing himself, right? Um, you know, doing stuff to himself. And I could see this. And I remember, like, it shook me. It shook me to my core, right? Because, you know, I didn't know what to think of it. And I was probably, I, I'm already 16 at this. I was 16. I can remember this. And I called my mom to come because I wanted her to see this. And instead, my father came in, right? Because I was just calling my mom. My father came into the room. And as I said, look, I just said, look at that guy. I was so shook. And look at that guy. And my father said to me, you know, Deb, sometimes these type of men can't help themselves. And you need to tell them to stop. You need to tell them to stop. And I felt like he was clearly giving me a message. And that was the last time anything inappropriate ever happened because it was a, a conversation that was so freaking out of left field. Um, and he knew that I was not going to put up with it anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? So it was, it was really interesting. That's how it ended. So he inferred yeah. from that situation that it was no longer permissible or not that it had ever been permissible, but it was the, the time was over for him to take advantage of his his daughter. And I had the power to say stop and that he would stop. And like it was, yeah, that's how it was. I mean, literally, that's how insane that conversation was. And it never happened again. There Did was you no... have, I'm sorry. Did oh, you okay. have to actually say to him, well, I want you to stop. I want you to stop. Yeah, no, that's right. Right, exactly. And I, right. And so when he said that, um, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to pull up this, this memory. What had happened was um, within that week, um, we were home and, um, God, my mom had left my father. You know, that's a whole other story, but my mom had left my father during this time. You know, that there was a lot of bad stuff happening at home. My mom had left my father, and I found myself at home with my dad in the evening. And he literally said to me, um, and this is a couple of days after that incident in the window. He said, I don't know what the hell Kate brought us to this, but his question to me was, I, I'm not like, I don't even want to say it, but I am. Um, just show me your breasts and, and I'll never ask again. And I said, excuse my language. I said, don't you ever fucking talk to me like that again. I you. got up, I walked out and I left. And that's where it ended. And I also, as crazy as it sounds, you know, and I keep saying as crazy as it sounds, it's as if he had given me permission to do that. Not like I needed permission, but it's as if he gave, and he was test, like, I felt like there was, let me see how far I could, you know, push her, right? He never asked anything like that. Nothing like that had ever been asked. It stopped then, it stopped there. That was it. 
does it. But I pretty much at that time, um, at the age of 16, had really started out where, you know, I, I started acting out too. That was an age where I started acting out and, you know, nobody had any control over me anymore. I did what I wanted when I wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you said that your mother left. So she left around the time that this was all happening when you were 16. Yeah. Well, so apparently this, I wasn't the only one. My sisters were also victims. You just answered my next question. What you yes. want to be. Yeah. Yes. So what happened was, um, I don't know. I don't even know how it happened, but myself and my other, my two sisters, we went to our mom and we told my mother what was happening. And I, I, I guess all three of us were shocked that it was happening to all of us. And we told my mom and she believed us and she did leave my dad. But, for, but that was very short lived. She came back again. She went back to this man, which is beyond me, but that, you know. Wow. Yeah, well, I was right. <laughs> How long did she manage to stay away when she left that time? Well, it felt, it felt short-lived. I know she took us to Puerto Rico. We went to stay with family. Um, and then when we came back from Puerto Rico, we had a discussion uh, a sit down with my dad and my mom where we openly spoke about this and how you know my father cried and cried and cried how sorry he was and you know he you know um you know um how he never meant to hurt us and most of it was done under the influence of alcohol um and so it was finally brought out to the open and it was spoken about and my mom said that we were going to, you know, she was going to go back with my dad. Um, my sisters and I, I could be totally, you know, I could tell you that my sisters and I always wanted her to leave him, never wanted her to stay with him. She did make a choice and that's still stuff I'm working through. Is your mother still living? Yes. Are they still together? Yes. That is the most uh, co-defendant relationship I have ever witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have questions about, you know, if you ever got to learn or find out if your father had, I mean, clearly he has mental health challenges. I mean, that's clear considering your story, but I guess scratching past the surface. And I understand that you've suppressed a lot through the years to protect yourself and I'm guessing that you probably didn't try to investigate or research, you know, what is the deal with my biological father? Why is he like this? You he, know, he, he offered that information. Thank you for going there. During that conversation that we had had with the fam with the sisters and my mom and dad, he revealed that he was sexually abused as a child um, by his own father who is also a raging alcoholic. And him and his siblings had been subjected to not only sexual abuse, but mental and physical abuse as well. Wow. His, up his upbringing was horrifying. 
Was was is your father Puerto Rican also, or just your yes. mother? No, we're they're both Puerto Rican. Yes. Man, you know we talk about that um, in survivors of incest and sexual abuse and um, childhood molestation. A lot of times, children are abused by a family member, and that family member was once abused in their past. Yes. And um, folks are not able to learn how to, or they haven't learned how to break the cycle. Yes. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, like I said, alcohol has been, you know, a focal point in my family. Um, um, You know, he was very scary man when he was drinking for, you know, on all levels. And, um, you know, I, not by any means to say that what he did was okay, because that that's never going to come out of my mouth. Or any, you know, I I just I'm sorry, you know, I, whatever your upbringing was, you have the um, ability to change that, and you have the ability to break the cycle. And um, and but I did get a better understanding of what happened, um, and. Um, you know, you know, that for me, learning that information, you know, helped me just to get a better understanding. And, and I think that's why for me, you know, mental health, you know, um, you know, we use alcohol, right, to help cover up pain. When I said I was 16, and I started doing what I wanted, nobody told me what to do. I was drinking and drugging at that point. You know, I was masking my pain, the same way my father was masking his pain. Um, so I followed in suit with, you know, drugs and alcohol the same way. Um, I didn't know how to deal, right? So I, you know, I did years and years of drugs, drugging and and drinking. And so, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I just wish that, you know, we were at a place that we could speak more openly about these things and, um, you know, not quite sure what I'm trying to say here, but that, you know, this, you know, trauma, trauma, that's, that's where I want to go. Trauma is, is a killer. It's a killer, unresolved trauma. And when we don't allow or get the help that we need as, you know, younger, we bring this trauma into our adulthood. And, you know, I just think about all these years that I have to unravel, right? Unravel to help feel better. To, to feel like, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, it's hard. This is hard. Healing is hard. Yeah. You know, I, I have a perspective that I, I want to share about the, the alcohol um, and, and your father's use of alcohol. As you said, people self-medicate, um, people use drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, whatever yeah. it is. To, to self-medicate and to try to avoid, um, you know, their anxieties or their sadness or to try to avoid thinking about their trauma. But of course, obviously, once you're sober again, it comes right back. So it's really an ineffective way to cope, as you know. Um, but I also think the other part that has to be considered is that alcohol disinhibits people. Alcohol allows a person to let down their guard. There's no filter anymore. 
and they're able to do the things that they want to do. Right. And so I think for your father, it was more so his previous traumas, his previous abuse that he endured as a child that he then passed on to you all. And by drinking the alcohol, it disinhibited him. Right. It sort of allowed him to be able to carry out those actions with you and your sisters. Right. And not that want to be clear in saying that alcohol was not the cause of the molestation, the sexual alcohol being intoxicated. He knew what he was doing. Right. Yeah. So I just want to that. that, No, that's great. I, that that was, that's great. Thank you. That, that, that perspective is very, very good. I, 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 I understand that because I know for me that, you know, it was my liquid courage, right? I was allowed, I was able to say and do things I would never do or yeah. say, um, you know, without it. And so I, I, I will attest to that being true for myself. Yeah. And, you know, it, I just, now I'm, I'm just wondering what is a relationship like for a woman <laughs> who's married to a man who sexually abused all of her children? Ah. Oh, your mother too has her own history, has to have a history of some stuff, you know, in her background. Um, Yeah, we don't talk about it. Um, What is a relationship? Well, I could tell you it is a relationship that sickens me. Um, It's a relationship. I've lost respect for this woman. I love my mother. She's my mom, you know, but as a woman... You know, this was a moment I looked up to at one time. I just, I, I can't, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry, you know, like she'll always be my mom and she has been there for me for many things, but to not um, find the strength within yourself to protect your girls. There's no excuse for that. None. What year was your mother born? 42. I was guessing 1940. Okay. What's your relationship like with your father now? Like, are you guys on on regular speaking terms? Do you call and talk to him and and or your mother every day? What is that like? Okay. So my mom's not doing well. Um, But I have had, I've always had a talk to my mom every day relationship. Always have. Um, You know, as I work, I still am trying to work through, you know, whatever I'm feeling about mom. She's my mom and she is a decent person. She is a good person. She will give you the shirt off her back. She's good to people. People love my mother. She is genuinely a good person that has had no support in her life. That has been, you know, on her own with you know just so so I've always my mom has always kind of sort of been a friend kind of to me I talk to her she listens she's she's always supported me as you know you know she's always behind me supporting me um 
you know, if I needed anything, you know, she was there for me. So I have a, a, a relationship with my mom. She's not well now. She's getting older. Um, she's not well. I speak to my mom all the time. I help her with stuff. You know, she needs bathing now. She needs stuff. I help her, all that. The relationship with my father is I have a relationship with my father only because he's still with my, my mom is still with him. If my mom is not still with my father, I probably wouldn't have a relationship with him. I don't like the man. He's not a good, you know, he's not, he's no longer drinking. He's a recovering alcoholic, but he's a dry drunk. And um, he's, you know, and I know that my father has severe um, mental issues that have never been addressed. I get that. But he's an angry, he's bitter, he's nasty. He's, <laughs> he's all of the above. And I, I, I had a conversation with my sister. And I said to her, I sure hope daddy goes before mommy. Because if mommy goes first, daddy's going to be. It's a wrap for you. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. I can dig it. I can dig it. Yeah. So you mentioned. At the age of 16, you started to self-medicate with alcohol and, and some drugs at some point. How are you sober now? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, alcoholism and drug addiction runs deep in my family. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I definitely would be about like, OK, let me let me go one step further. My younger sister is dead and she died because of drug and alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, we, my, and my, my, sis, my middle sister is also um, a recovering alcoholic. We are all um, in recovery because um, it runs rampant in our family. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your sister. Yeah, it was terrible. That's okay. My condolences to you. My sincerest condolences. Never, I'm sorry. She never had a chance. She really didn't. I, I just felt like, you know, like it's just what I said, trauma kills. It kills. And when you don't, when you choose not to address it, mm. you know, people lose their lives. Um, five years now. Five uh, years. Still so new. Yeah. Five years is new. I'm so sorry. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, her, her death hurts. Her death hurts because we saw it coming. You know, we, we begged her to get help. You know, um, we begged her. We, we, you know, we were, we were there, you know, I was ready to tell, I wanted to move her in. She just couldn't do it. She just couldn't do it. Did she have any children? Yes. Yes. Has a son, yeah, and he's doing well, you know. After she passed away, and and it was a really hard relationship, you know, between her and her son because again she was an active user, and um, so the family kind of raised him, you know. We raised him, and um, I'm very proud to say that he's doing very well today. I'm happy. I'm happy. Doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Are you all in New York? Um, I'm in Florida now. Um, um, we moved to Florida, 
uh, I moved here about 10 years ago. Um, but um, my mom and dad are here in Florida and then the rest of my family's in New York. Gotcha. Yep. So what were your relationships like, your personal relationships? <laughs> the people you tried to date. Um, and if you don't mind my asking, yeah. did your father ruin it for other men? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, I didn't realize it then. Um, but, yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm on my, I married twice. My first marriage was a total fiasco. I married a man just like my father. You know, the typical, you know, the typical, you know, story. An alcoholic, an abusive person. Um, and I brought that fear into my, 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 I brought the fear. The fear of my childhood came with me into adulthood. I was terrified uh, always of the men in my life. And of course, I chose my first husband. I chose to marry an alcoholic and an abusive person. And um, he was mentally and physically abusive. But I finally was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And I, you know, I think what gave me, it's it. Let me, this is what gave me strength for my kids, right? And that's why I could not understand how my mother did not find that strength. My strength came from, do I want my boys to be like their father? And the answer was a clear no. And that is what gave me the strength to leave. Mm. We're going to break this cycle and we're going to do it now, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, and, and that was, I did, I left, I got help. Like I said, I sought help and I, you know, I had two kids to raise and, um, yeah. So once I seek help and I really started to get a better understanding of why did I choose this man and, you know, the fear that I brought with me. And I'm going to talk about the fear. It's fear around men, right? I didn't feel like I had a voice around them. I didn't feel like I was ever heard around them. That has changed. All that has changed. I have a voice. I use my voice. Um, but so the answer is yes up until probably my 30s that's you know I carried even my relationship with men up until my you know my 30s gotcha so by the time you are in your 30s you there have been some resolve basically and you were choosing healthier relationships yes 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 very much so yes and I'm married to a wonderful man now who would never raise you know, his voice, I could speak my mind, I could be who I am, I made sure of that, you know, before I married the guy, <laughs> but I needed to feel safe, right, and he allowed, he gave me, what a great guy, you know, he knew my history, and he, you know, I'm very grateful, very grateful. So, tengo una pregunta. Dígame, what's that? Sí. Habla español? Un poquito, sí. No mucho. Okay, okay. So, okay, I'll get off my Spanish now. Okay. I love the conversation, but I can't go too far. Yeah. Yeah. So, some people ask when they're dating someone or when they meet someone new, when is the right time to share with them 
things from your past, your history. And so I would ask you, what would you say to folks? When is it time to share that, hey, you know, I, I have something to tell you about my childhood that has affected me for the first 30 plus years of my life. I think I'm past it now, but I think you should know about it. Wow, great question. Um, You know, if you too are, you know, if, if if you're feeling like there's a relationship starting to truly happen and, um, you know, you're, you're, you're starting to feel like this could go somewhere, you know, Look, I have I, I have stuff I could say that could scare anyone the fuck the hell away. <laughs> oh, I'll get away from this crazy woman. But um, if that I, so, the right time to me is if you feel like it's going somewhere, and you want to be able to. Um, for me, I needed to say, this is what I come with, and. It's who I am, okay? It's just who I, you know, it's it's a part of who I am. It's why, you know, I'm going to say something that you probably, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I'm going to be 100% honest. The depression has kicked my ass. I have struggled with it. It has kicked my ass. But everything that's happened in my life has happened has made me who I am today. And I wouldn't change that for anything in the world. I wouldn't. I, you know, I truly am in a place that um, whatever was given to me was given to me and um, I'm not going to, it's not going to, you know, dictate my life. Um, And I think that if you have that conversation with a significant person in your life, when is the right time when you feel safe enough that it's the right time? And if you don't feel safe enough, then that isn't the right person. I love love that response. I love that answer. Yeah. Oftentimes we disregard discernment. We disregard how we feel in our gut and our spirit. Yes. We have to pay attention to those things. We have to pay attention to energy and how someone makes us feel. Yes. Yeah. And when you said, if that person doesn't make you feel safe and telling your story, you shouldn't even be with that person. Right. That is correct. That is I, correct. I know someone is listening to this and this is going to, this This is a home run for that, that person. So, yeah. Now, you know, I'm not sure if you did any research or if you looked at or listened to a couple of things that I've done, but I talk about relationships and sex a lot. Yeah. If I'm going too far by asking you this question, I apologize. I'll back off a bit. Yeah. It's okay. I'll, I'll tell you if I'm not comfortable. <laughs> You're looking like, oh shit, what is she about to say? <laughs> so I would like to know how did that darkness from your past affect you sexually in the bedroom, if at all? Um, you know, um, I had to be high or drunk in order to have sex. Um, in the beginning. I mean, I, that's as honest as it gets. Um, and when I got married the first time, I didn't feel like I had any say in sex. So when he wanted sex, he got sex. You know, it was just 
something I had to do. Um, uh, that so again, it came down to me fine. Oh, so let's say when I wasn't in a relationship, let's say when I was single, again, I had to be drunk or I had to be high. And it allowed me to be free as I wanted to be. I did not feel safe or free to do that any other way. It was dirty. It was, you know, not, there was nothing good about it unless I could, you know, you know, whatever that, that says. But, um, <clears throat> um, So again, it, 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 for me, it came down to it, when I learned that I had to stop drinking and, and doing drugs and I was getting into a serious relationship for the second time, um, it was about, again, feeling really safe with that person. Um, you know, and, and, and when I say no, man, you better understand it means no. So I feeling safe with a person is a huge factor for me in being able to be sexually free and sexually open. Um, that's just me, you know, right now, you know, like otherwise, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to be, you know, I, I have issues with, you know, I, I would be not, I would not be truthful, but I said, I have some men issues. <laughs> Yeah. So for the person wondering how you were able to transition from that, that space of fear, discomfort, um, feeling like the sexual relations process is just tainted and uncomfortable, what type of work did you do to move out of that space into a more comfortable area, into your comfort zone and being able to relax and allow yourself to feel safe with the right person. Yeah, that's what I had to do that in my head. I had to say, Debbie, relax. Debbie, it's okay. Debbie, enjoy. This is you saying it's okay. Nobody, you know what I'm saying? It was kind of like just talking my way through it mm-hmm. until it became second nature, right? This is okay. It's nothing, wow. This is great. This is wonderful. Um, you know, and just relax, girl. <laughs> so I had to talk my way through it. And then it just became second nature where it's like, hey, yeah, this is great. I can do this and I can enjoy this without all this other shit behind me, you know? Um, so what it took was a lot of um just me you know me relaxing me you know and and then also saying to my partner you know I'm feeling a little tense right now you know like um you know it's like oh well you know do you want me to rub your feet Deb would that help you relax a little bit and I'm like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah let's go there so stuff like that you know like an honest true honest conversation for me you know look I, yeah I need to be able to say I'm not feeling comfortable right now or uh, no or um, you know I'm, I'm feeling tense can 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 we talk about this? did were you ever held back from experiencing an orgasm because of your sexual trauma no okay no. So never had were, that issue okay 
good. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> Never, yay. <laughs> well, hey, okay, that answers that question. That answers yeah. questions, couple of questions. So you were well, able to orgasm and, and to enjoy your, your private time. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. All right. So we can wrap it up. I appreciate you joining me on the couch and, and sharing, you know, such a dark time in your life. Um, I'm relieved for you that you've been able to, to move past it and move beyond and to find and create your own happiness in your life, because we really do have to create That's our right. own happiness. Happiness does not just get dropped in your lap, people. It's not just dropped in your lap. People oh. think to wake up every day is going to be perfect and every day happiness is created now yes we should wake up and be thankful to be alive you know feel blessed to be here and feel happy that we're here and we get a chance to do it all over again but when the challenges begin to come just know that it's a part of life and we have to those challenges cope move past them and we can still be happy and so If someone is listening who has had the same experience or maybe going through a similar experience, what advice as a, now this is folks listening, this is not any professional advice right here. We're just talking, Mrs. Ortiz and myself, we're just having a a chit chat here on the couch. What advice would you give to someone in a situation similar? Um, I think that what would have helped me when I was going through it is for someone to tell me that I, I, I have the right, I have a voice and I'm allowed to use that voice. And, um, as fearful as I was, had that been an option for me, I probably could have, um, I don't know if it's true, but I, I, I don't know if I could have stopped it early. I don't know. But what I do know is that you have a voice. And if talk to somebody, let somebody know what's going on. Talk to somebody, someone you trust, please. I, I can't tell you how I wish I had somebody that I, I'm sorry. It's okay. I wish I had somebody that I could turn to and that I could talk to. Um, that would have made all the difference in the world. So um, know that know that it's not your fault. Know that you are beautiful. Know that you are worthy. Um, and that um, find someone that you trust that you can talk to, please. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the thing that you said that really made sense is the thing that your father said to you when you were 16. And it's the thing that you don't hear people saying or advising folks. And that is like what you said, to use your voice and to just say, stop. I I don't like this. Don't do this to me. And I oftentimes victims are afraid to use their voice and afraid to say stop. But... It's possible that that's all it would take for the the abuser to know, okay, 
she might tell someone. That's right. He or he may tell someone else. He may tell or she may tell. I I need to leave this kid alone. I want to say something really quickly. My father said that guy is a coward. I remember distinctly him calling him a coward. And if you told him to stop, he will stop. He was speaking about himself. Mm. He was clearly telling me. And and so I'm telling you that from the words, from the mouth of an abuser, he's saying, tell them to stop. Yeah. Yeah. So guys and gals, use your voice. Say no. Say no, because it, it is very possible. It may make a difference for you. It's very possible. And if you've been abused, sexually abused, physically, emotionally, verbally, sexually taken advantage of, molested, whatever the case may be, please seek mental health treatment. See someone, talk to someone. Do not carry that baggage. No. Like I said, um, my sister chose not to. And it ended tragically for her. There is hope. You can get to the other side. I know that. I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you that. All right. I think we're going to end with that. Thank you you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. You're so welcome. Thank you for sharing your story because it empowers other people. It empowers so many other people. And you guys heard Mrs. Ortiz say, you can get to the other side. Don't stay in that blackness. Don't stay in that darkness. Don't stay in that dark hole. If you need assistance, if you need resources, please contact me. You can contact me on Instagram at Dr. Delvina, D-R-D-E-L-V-E-N-A. You can email me at info at DR as in Dr. Delvina dot help that's H-E-L-P or call my office at 305-981-1700. And folks, please share this, this podcast. And this is going to go on my YouTube also on my YouTube channel. I think, you know, yeah, Yeah. I I just thank you. I I thank you so much um, with, you know, you're, you're, you're making, you're, you're helping people and, um, Thank you. That's it. I'm so grateful. All right. Say brain love, Ortiz. <laughs> Be safe. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch. Thank you. I will share your work. Say brain love. Say brain love. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> brain love. Is that what you said? Yes. Brain, brain love. Brain love. Okay. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need It's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. 
own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.